The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Saving money on everything for your projects. Now at Menards. We have it all for garden and landscaping essentials. Visit our outdoor garden center today and update your backyard space. Grid accents lattice panels have a timeless design with an innovative design that's simple to install and requires almost no maintenance. Save big on lattice panel options at Menards. View our entire selection of garden center products today on Menards.com. Save big money at It's been a wild ride for Bryce Young in the betting markets. He went from the favorite to not the favorite to the overwhelming favorite to be the first overall pick in the draft next Thursday night when the Panthers are on the clock. I was on the clock with him for about 12 minutes yesterday. Here is some of my conversation with Heisman winner and presumptive number one overall pick, Bryce Young. Bryce, we're having this conversation exactly one week before the draft. What is your overriding emotion as you are seven days away from finding out what's next for you. Yeah. Um, you know, I am, I I'm super, um, you know, I'm, I'm super blessed to be in this and, you know, I, you definitely get a little anxious, you know, you know, your, your, your life's going to change. Um, you know, you don't know where you're going to be living, what's going to be going on, or, you know, what, what, what team is you going to be uh, playing for, and, you know, for so long, you know, it's coming, but it's kind of, kind of far out. Um, but, now they're being right around the corner. You know, I'm, I'm definitely anxious for, for that day to come and, and to see what, what it's going to be. Um, but more so than anything, I'm grateful and I'm blessed to be in this situation. And, you know, I'm trying to enjoy it and, and be in the moment. But, um, you know, I'm definitely a little anxious and excited to, to see what the future holds for me. Bryce, what was the first moment for you where you realized, based on whatever it was, throwing the ball in a game, in a practice, anywhere, where you thought, you know what? I'm pretty good at this and I may have a real future. Um, you know, that's a good question. Um, I, I can't really think to a specific time. Uh, I don't think I've ever felt, I've always believed in myself and, you know, I've always just wanted to, you know, the next day be better and, and wanted to push myself to be the best version of myself. But I don't think I ever really had a moment where I felt any higher or lower than that. Um, you know, I think, you know, even even in the bad days, I, I still wanted to, to to push myself and see where I could be and and and, and just get better the next day. And um, even in the good days where things were going really well, I never felt like, oh, I got it or like I'm I'm there. I have it figured out. Um, you know, even then, I felt like, um, you know, I felt like, okay, well, even if this was positive, um, you know, I still have to do a lot more to to improve. I still want to get better. Um, so I don't necessarily think I, I had that moment of like, oh yeah. I'm, I'm going to be good. This is going to be my future. Um, I think, you know, I think it was just day by day. Um, you know, I, I realized how much I love this sport and how much I love the game. And, um, you know, because of that, I think that's really what has pushed me to want to keep being better and, and keep developing day in and day out. Okay, so I'm at the point in the interview where I start checking boxes. And, of course, when we talk to Bryce Young, the box we have to check is the height question. But I'm going to try to ask you a different question because it is what it is. I, I've heard you explain that, and you're right. You've played that way your whole life. So I'm curious about, and I, I know Drew Brees, and he's explained how he's managed in the pocket to see through and around these giant offensive linemen and defensive linemen who are big no matter how tall you are at quarterback. What do you do when you're back there to manage to see the guys down the field when you have this cluster of bodies in front of you? 
Yeah, I think it's a lot about anticipation, um, knowing where your guys are going to be and then knowing where the defense, um, you know, would have to be based off of, of the coverages that they're running. Um, so I think that and, you know, kind of tribute to what, what Drew Brees said, who is someone that, you know, I've had the honor of meeting and, um, you know, I've always been a huge fan of, of his game and what he's been able to do, um, you know, tribute to that. It's, you know, kind of trying to find throwing lanes and, and seeing in between. And again, even when you can't see, you know, it's it's knowing where people are going to be at based off of understanding the concept, understanding the defense you're getting and knowing, you know, what you have to account for and who you have to account for based off where you're trying to throw. So I think a lot of it um, for me is, you know, all that coming into play is kind of, you know, how I, how I process things, whether it's a clean pocket or, you know, there's a bunch of people, um, you know, getting pushed back into my face. The other side of this too, and this is the last question I'm going to ask about height, and wait, but Tua Tagovailoa, former Alabama quarterback, now with the Dolphins, just yesterday was speaking about the things he's doing to try to better learn how to fall because you're going to get hit by large guys. You got to fall in a way so your helmet doesn't strike the turf, and he's learning that. What plan do you have to avoid those kinds of issues we've seen with Tua? And have you talked to him about how to avoid striking your helmet against the ground when one of these 275 pound, 275 pound guys pushes you down? Um, I haven't necessarily had that conversation with them. Um, but I think one thing just in general, I can get better at for sure is just learning how to like baseball slide because full transparency, I, I don't like know how to cleanly efficiently do that. Like I always kind of just, um, just got down. I know, I knew eventually it was going to come a day where I need to, I never really play baseball. So I knew eventually it was going to be a day where I need to learn how to baseball slide. So, you know, I think that, um, you know, I think now is the, uh, a great time to attack that. Um, so I think that's something I'm, I'm definitely going to learn how to do. You can get the whole interview at PFT on our YouTube page and the PFT PM podcast. The baseball slide, very interesting to me, Peter, because just yesterday I mentioned in discussing this with Chris Sims as it relates to Tua Tonga-Vailoa learning how to fall. Mark Sanchez struggled with the baseball slide. Mike Vick refused to even do it. He would do the Pete Rose head first dive whenever he was getting toward the end of a run. I didn't know anything about Bryce Young's ability to slide or not slide, but that's just part of it. Sliding doesn't matter when you're in the pocket and you get shoved and you fall backward. And we saw it last year with Tua. He fell backward, struck his head. He got whipped down by a Bengals defensive lineman, curled around and flung to the ground and struck his head and it just looks so innocuous as it happens but you have to find a way to keep your head off the ground and that's a practical reality for a guy who may very well be playing on the south side of 200. Mike I'm going to give every NFL team a piece of advice right now about the baseball slide for quarterbacks and for quarterbacks who say well I can't do that I haven't done it before I'm going to take you into when Peter King coached the Montclair Bears, which was a 10 and under travel girls softball team in Montclair, New Jersey, 20 years ago. And I'll tell you what we did every spring, because you're getting some kids who have no idea how to slide. They're playing for the first time. I would wait until the first rainy day in late March, early April, and I would bring out a tarp, and I would say, in essence, okay, let's let let this get good and wet, and then I would do the first one, I would do the second one, I'd do the third one, and I would show exactly how you do the slide. It's very, very simple. You tuck your left leg under, and you put your right leg out, and you literally just fall down on your rear end while you're running, and put your foot out and slide. It is simple. And the only reason I say that is that every time I hear a quarterback say, oh, I can't slide, I've never I've never slid before. You know what I say? Your coaches didn't do a good job with you. I don't care how great you are, whether you had Bill Walsh and, and every great offensive mind there ever was. A quarterback today had better learn how to slide. And, and Bryce Young, I'm telling you, I don't care if he never played baseball before. If I'm Frank Reich, if I'm Josh McCown, if I'm Thomas Brown, if I am the coaches on this staff, that's a practice in, in our mini camp in June. That's it. 
we are bringing in, I don't care, Ricky Henderson. I, I, I bring in somebody to teach this guy how to slide because that is going to be essential for a guy who's going to play a half inch shorter than Russell Wilson and two inches shorter than Drew Brees. You know, when you live as long as we have, you have many regrets, and I've just discovered I have a new regret. I regret that cell phone video wasn't easily available back in the day when Peter King was teaching the softball team how to slide on a target. How do you know it wasn't? That would have been very, <laughs> well, I, I, that would have been very valuable. How do you know some sort of video, video wasn't? Hey, all I can say is I'm grateful. I'm grateful we used to do those things in the rain. Because nobody, no parent wanted to be out there to be able to see it. So, yeah. But, Mike, Mike, seriously, seriously. You know, this could be the difference between a guy sliding cleanly, easily. This could be the difference between a guy staying healthy and getting hurt. I am shocked when I hear NFL quarterbacks saying, well, either I don't like to slide, I'm no good at sliding, anything like that. It is simple. It's simple. Just learn how to do it. Best guy to watch is Kyler Murray. Now he's gotten away from it, and it's one of the reasons why he's had more injuries as his career has progressed. But his first couple of years, he would do that quick little sudden hook slide anytime, any place, anywhere. He would do it sideways, backward. And any time he got in any hot water and he realized this is not going to end well for me, he would just, like lightning strike, slide and pop right back up. And, yeah. of course, he was a baseball yeah. player, so it makes it a little easier for him. But it's something that Bryce Young needs to learn, but it's just part of the equation. That's what surprised me. My focus is how do you fall, not how do you end a run without getting hit. I'm talking about you get hit in the pocket, you get thrown to the ground, what are you going to do? And I'd be talking to Tua Tonga Bailoa right now if I were Bryce Young about this jiu-jitsu training he's doing in an effort to learn how to fall in a way that doesn't strike your helmet against the turf because if he's going to be playing under 200 pounds that's something he needs to be ready for okay so regardless of any red flags about height weight whatever he's the guy and he talked about anticipation as his way of throwing around these giants who are still big guys no matter how tall the quarterback is young goes first if it's not stroud second who do you think it is not not overall. I'm talking about second quarterback off the board. Well, all I can say is this, Mike, that, you know, this is the week where I start to get on the phone with people and really ask them, give me your ranking here. Who do you see getting picked here? All those kind of things. And I have to tell you, there is absolutely no consensus after Bryce Young where these quarterbacks go because I still think that CJ Stroud has to be considered number two even with all the questions about him and Bob McGinn uh, just wrote today uh, about the S2 cognition tests uh, that show how people process information not just quarterbacks but all players in in a lot of different sports and Stroud's score on that according to McGinn was very low but I still think you watch the tape and I still think he's got to be the number two guy in this draft. Uh, somehow, some way, I still think he's going to get picked number two, at least as of now. But I think after that, you have people who are in love with Anthony Richardson. You have people who are scared of Anthony Richardson. You have people who really like Hendon Hooker, think he's the smartest quarterback in this draft, really love him, are not worried about him being 26. I mean, Mike, I I think that Hendon Hooker's getting picked in the first half of the first round. I don't know where, and he might get picked around 14, 15, 16, but I, I just hear too many good things the last few days about him. And if you want him, you're probably going to have to take him by the middle of the first round. And then Will Levis, he is a polarizing prospect. So I, I am really confused right now, and that's what I need clarity on going into this weekend, being on the phone with people. 
I don't like the fact that those S2 numbers get out no more than I like the fact that the Wonderlick numbers get out because there's you'd like to think that those things don't get used against players if they don't come back with an ideal number. And also, it's part of this weaponizing of information to suit an end. You know, anytime I see an anonymous scout talking to anyone in the media, I want to know what team does that scout work for and are they hoping that the player they're talking about will slip down the board so they can draft them because we've seen time and again that that happens. So, you know, the film on Stroud, as you said, is great. And Chris Sims has him at number one. He's got a great release. I don't hear people talk about that enough. I mean, it is not quite Dan Marino, but it's pretty damn close the way he gets the football out. One name that we didn't talk about is Anthony Richardson. Sims has him as a guy with superstar potential. But as we get closer to the process, I don't know, it's a lot murkier. There was a time a few weeks ago that's like, this guy could go as high as number three. He could go Young, Stroud in one order or the other, and Richardson at three, and that's really died down as we've gotten closer to the draft. Yeah, I think the real difficult thing with people about Anthony Richardson is that, you know, he had some clunker games in college football, and he only started for one year. He won six college football games, Mike. And I know people say, well, you know, you have to judge him on potential. Yes, of course you do. And if you look at him, you know, he's like 20%, you know, more athletic, stronger, gifted, runner, all that stuff than Cam Newton was. You know, and look at that. It's absurd. You know, the guy is just going to be, the day he's drafted, you know, that day, the announcers can easily say this is the most athletically gifted quarterback in the history of pro football, even more than Mike Vick and and more than Steve Young and more than a lot of these guys who are really, really gifted at the position. But again, you know, his last college game, he's nine out of 27. He, he, He just, he had some clunker games and he only started for one year. And I just think there are a bunch of teams that really like him and like him a lot. But you just can't be sure about him because of his relative inexperience. And again, look, if you think that you have a great quarterback coach and you think you have a patient head coach, draft him. Because you know you can walk, you can stand up at the draft. And look, I disagree with Chris Sims. He told me last week, and I wrote this in my column, people are saying you got to sit Anthony Richardson for a year. And I think that's wrong. I, I mean, he said you, gotta, you, you have to play Anthony Richardson right away. And I said, no, I think that's wrong. I think, you know, you're in, you're in danger then of him being Zach Wilson, of after 22 games, people never want to see him again. I, I just think... The way to handle Anthony Richardson is to put him in quarterback school for the next 12 months. And then he comes to work opening day of your program in 2024. And he is either the starter or he is competing on equal footing for the starting job. And, you know, that's an excellent point, too. And that dovetails with something I've been trying to emphasize this year more than any in the past, and maybe it's just a product of if you cover enough drafts, if you cover the NFL long enough, lights begin to flicker that otherwise might never have. But we focus so much on the player when someone is a bust. We need to focus on the circumstance. How was he handled by the team that drafted him? Did they make a mistake by putting him on the field too quickly? Would Zach Wilson have become a franchise quarterback if the Jets hadn't rushed him onto the field. These are things we'll never know the answer to, but we can't just lay it all on the player. It can be the coaching staff. It can be the front office, the supporting cast. It can be as simple as he wasn't ready and no one bothered to raise the question because we've given up so much to get this guy. You're damn straight we're going to use him because the owner wants him out there on the field instead of someone pushing back and saying, we're going to be better off over the long haul if we take some time and develop this guy. And I was thinking that same thing with Richardson. He's perfect for a team like the Titans or the Vikings who have their guy this year. Yes, it's the Alex yes. Smith, Patrick Mahomes dynamic. 
We have a starter this year. This is a guy that's not just going to sit on the bench. He's going to be in the lab learning, and we're going to get him ready for 2024. Hendon Hooker falls into that category because he's coming off the torn ACL. But I know some of these guys are going to get thrown in right away, and I can't imagine Andy Dalton playing very much, if at all, in Carolina before Bryce Young. But from, for a lot of these guys, even though we want to see the bright, shiny objects out on the field in their new uniforms playing football, long-term for the team and especially for the player, you got to make that decision to let him sit. And it worked for Mahomes. And Look at what the Bengals did in 2003 with, with Carson Palmer. You know, they said John Kitten is our quarterback this year. Palmer is going to wait. And he did. And, you know, the earth was still on its axis when Carson Palmer started starting for the Bengals. It's same thing with uh, Patrick Mahomes. He had one experimental start in his rookie season. And then the next year, he took the league by storm. So I, I, don't, I don't understand. You know, Mike, I'm going to tell you a quick story. In 1998, uh, I was at San Diego Chargers training camp. And that was the year, obviously, that Ryan Leaf was a rookie. And I was at camp maybe two weeks in. I forget when exactly it was. But Ryan Leaf was having some tough days. He wasn't great. He'd have some great moments and then not great moments. And I mentioned to Bobby Bethard, the Hall of now Hall of Fame, late Hall of Fame general manager, that, you know, maybe the smart idea is to sit him first and to play, I forget the back, whoever the backup was, to sit him first and then, uh, you, you know, work him in gradually. And he goes, oh, he's got to play. He said, people have bought luxury boxes. They bought season tickets to see Ryan Leaf, not to see whoever the backup was. I just said, well, okay. And in my opinion, that, and look, far be it for me, Bobby Bethard has built a three-time Super Bowl champion in Washington, uh, and, he got, and he brought the San Diego Chargers to a Super Bowl. So, I, I mean, it's bizarre and idiotic for me to second-guess Bobby Bethard, but I think that is not a smart way to run your franchise. The guy should play when he's ready. Well, look, either Bethard... And, and, and you're right, but just because the guy has done great things doesn't mean he's infallible. He drafted a guy who was either a complete and total bust or his team failed to properly prepare him for life in the NFL. And some of it is on Ryan Leaf, and Ryan Leaf owns it. He doesn't try to run from it. He admits he was a bust. But he's one of the reasons why I've been even more sensitive to the idea that it's not just the kid. It's on the team to understand where he is right now from a football developmental standpoint, from a maturity standpoint, what can he handle? Is he ready? And whatever factors you consider, I guarantee you that last on the list should be we've got fans that have purchased luxury suites under the assumption that Ryan Leaf is going to be playing. No question about it, but again, we can say that now, you know, and in fairness to Bethard, you know, that's 25 years ago. And I doubt sincerely that they would have the same feeling today. And Mike, you know, we talk about some of the dings and the knocks that C.J. Stroud is getting right now. Can you imagine the dings and the knocks that Ryan Leaf would have gotten with the modern NFL media and the microscope on all of these guys coming out of coming out of uh, college. I mean, what would the story have been if someone goes to Great Falls, Montana, to write the Ryan Leaf story before the draft in 2018, or to do the Ryan Leaf do Ryan Leaf investigative reporting and find out that you know basically he's persona non grata in his own town, you know, he's not well-liked in his town or whatever. After all this thing came out, you know, you found out all these skeletons. But, But again, I just think that today, these days, the lesson now is only two years old. And it looks like, looks like the Jets played Zach Wilson before he was really ready. And so I just look at this whole thing And I say, whoever drafts Anthony Richardson, you might determine 
out of training camp <clears throat> that he's so super confident that it, we're not going to damage him if we throw him to the wolves. Maybe you will. I don't know. But you ought to be open-minded enough to stand up on the night of the draft and to face the cameras and to say, we are going to make the decision that is going to be best for Anthony Richardson and this franchise for the next 15 years, not for the next 15 months. You know, we need to take a break, but something you said really intrigued me, and I had never thought of it this way. But Ryan Leaf may have benefited from all the scrutiny that a prospect now gets. Because at the end of the day, he just needed to grow up. And plenty of guys need to mature when they've been coddled their whole lives because they're great athletes and they're never made to be accountable and no one ever says anything to their face that maybe needs to be said to their face. Maybe the scrutiny, both internally and externally, that he would have gotten from the media in the run-up to the draft would have been the thing that caused him to grow up a little bit. Maybe that's all he needed to get himself ready to play in the NFL, regardless the Chargers blew it. We know it now. And we know that going forward, somebody's going to blow it. Somebody's going to make the wrong pick or fail to properly develop him at the quarterback position. Look at 2018. Look at who worked out. Look at who didn't. That's just the way it is. We all look at, at glass half full as the draft approaches. But the water starts draining out of the glass for a lot of these guys not long after their pick. Let's take a break. There's there's more than glass half full for Bijan Robinson. The debate continues over how high is too high to take a guy like Bijan Robinson. We'll talk about that when PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Go for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this! How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. You know, talking to a scout who said you're a top five talent, but you yeah. won't, but you won't go in the top five. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I understand. Um, you know, you know what, what people are thinking and what people say. Um, you know, I believe that any team that gets me is, is such a blessing, and I know that God's gonna put me in the in the right position no matter where I'm at. Um, but you know, I can't I can't think. I can't change what people are thinking. Uh, you know, a team a team has where I'm going to be at and, and a team knows where I'm going to be at. And if that's in the top 10, if that's not, then it's going to be a blessing either way. So I'm, I'm just trying to enjoy the moment. And, you know, people are going to have opinions, but, you know, we, we, we all don't know. So we're just all going to see, you know, in a week. That's Texas running back B. John Robinson with Dan Patrick. And it's amazing to me. There's a common thread. When these guys are asked questions like that, they are so wired, Peter, to submit to this process. They have no choice. They have no choice. They got to pick their college, and we see more and more guys picking colleges midstream, transferring here, transferring there, and then all of a sudden, you're in this mode where you have no control over the process whatsoever, and you could just see yeah, it ooze yeah. from Bijan Robinson. <laughs> if you watch the Bryce Young video, I asked him about, you know, you went to 
you were going to go to USC and then you went to Alabama. You ever think, boy, it'd be nice if I get to choose where I go in the NFL. And you could, he had kind of a knowing laugh and they just submit. They have no choice. It's kind of a weird thing, but you just have to, you have to go along with the ride. You're strapped into the roller coaster and it's going to take you where it takes you. Hey, you know, B. John Robinson is such an interesting story. And look, I'm not necessarily right on this. Uh, I have written and said and gotten tomatoes thrown at me to because <laughs> I have said, in my opinion, the Philadelphia Eagles at number 10 with a gift draft pick, a gift draft pick that cost them almost it was almost handed to him on a silver platter last year in the trade with New Orleans, okay? And this is why Howie Roseman is so good at his job because he understands that I am building a team for the long haul. So you almost have this bonus pick right here. And there's been this great debate, Mike. Well, geez, you know, uh, uh, Bijan Robinson, you almost certainly you're not going to sign a running back to a second contract. So let's just say for the sake of argument, you have B. John Robinson either for four or five years because you're right. You almost certainly will not sign a running back to a second contract. Well, I guess I would just say, what about, you know, Andre Dillard and Jalen Rager? Did you sign them to second contracts? There is a bust factor in the first round of an NFL draft that it doesn't matter how great a general manager you are. And Howie Roseman is great at his job. You are going to bust on some picks. Sometimes you're going to pick Jalen Rager instead of Justin Jefferson. That's just the way it goes, okay? And all I'm saying is that can you imagine if for three or four years you get a guy who is a significant, not a minor, but a significant help to you to get you to another Super Bowl and at the same time will cost you an average of $5.5 million on the cap over a four-year period. Obviously, that jumps up if you exercise the fifth-year option and have to pay him more in the fifth year, which who knows, you might do, but you might not. And the last thing I would say about Bijan Robinson is I had a, a note in my column this week, and I had a video in my column this week, Mike, of Bijan Robinson in traffic, out of the slot, as a slot receiver, making a contested one-handed catch at the five-yard line against Iowa State that if it were Justin Jefferson, it would be on every highlight on ESPN that night. And so when I talked to Steve Sarkeesian, the Texas coach, about him, and he said, you know, I get in trouble for saying this, he had the best hands on our team last year. And wide receivers don't want to hear that. But I've talked to people in the league who said, if you want to, there could be games, matchup games, that you would play in the NFL. And you would take B. John Robinson out of the running back slot for maybe 15 to 20 snaps a game. And you would play him as a wide receiver. You would play him in the slot. You could even play him outside. And, and my only point about this is I understand that we always want to think of the long term. And you know what, Mike? If you could get Peter Skaronsky to plug in for the next 10 years at right guard, do it. Go ahead, do it. It's a smart pick by Howie Roseman. But all I can say is you're going to be awfully tempted, and you should be awfully tempted, uh, it, if you're the Philadelphia Eagles at number 10, or if you're any team looking for a home run hitter early in this draft, you're going to be tempted, even though you know that this guy may not be a long-term guy for you. The fact that competent running backs are available in every round of the draft and yeah. undrafted as Austin Eckler was, has raged this debate over yeah. whether or not you actually use that first-round pick on a running back. Here's a mashup of various decision-makers in the NFL on where they land as to this question of whether or not you use a first-round pick at a position where you can find a guy who does that job anywhere in the draft. Have a listen. 
I understand the narrative about that, but if you think that player is that good, then if he's out there producing for you, then I don't think anybody's going to look back and say, I don't think anybody said in in 20, you know, 16 or 17 or 18 that, oh, man, Todd Gurley picked him at 10. Like, no, it's just he was just a really good running back, and, you know, he was one of the top prospects uh, in, in the draft. So, um, yeah, we didn't really bat an eye about it. Just in general, um, any position group is hard to eliminate. You start eliminating it, you can't get to 28. So if you say we're not going to take a running back or we're not going to take a tight end or we're not going to take a receiver or we're not going to take – once you eliminate a position group or two, you can't get to 28 anymore, and you end up with uh, third and fourth round picks in your top 28. For us here is that we get – uh, we utilize this opportunity to get a unique player uh, for our team. You know, certainly not planning to be picking at this point in the near future. That doesn't mean, you know, obviously things happen, and, but we're not planning for that. And so we understand how important it is um, to get this right. And how do you get it right is you make sure you, you get a unique player. Steven, you ever sitting in your office and looking out at the, the practice field and thinking to yourself, man, I can I can totally see B. John Robinson running behind our <laughs> offensive line. Well, B. John's just had a great career at Texas. Uh, certainly, I think uh, I don't think I've seen any any uh, set of circumstances uh, that he's not a first round pick. That's off to him, and certainly a guy. I'm sure when uh, you know that first day's over, he's he's gonna uh, certainly have a team, and uh, you never know. Oh, it would be something if he ends up with the Cowboys, but 26 is probably going to be too low to get him. I was on 105.3 The Fan yesterday, and that's the station where Stephen Jones made those comments, and they're already on the bandwagon of what does it take to trade up, how far do you have to go, and that's the balance. Peter, 2005, there were three running backs taken in the top five. Ronnie Brown, Cedric Benson, and Cadillac Williams. We are a long way from that. There hasn't been a guy taken higher than 24 since Saquon Barkley in 2018. You had Najee Harris. You had Josh Jacobs at 24. Last year, there was no first-round running back at all. That's the balance. When do you pull the trigger on a running back? And when it's a guy who's one of the top talents in the draft, who cares if he's a running back? I'm a firm believer that there's going to be a playoff contender that gets Bijan Robinson next Thursday night. And what we're going to be talking about Friday morning is that team's a Super Bowl contender now with Bijan Robinson. Could be. I mean, it depends who takes him. If Tampa Bay takes him, I'm not saying it. If Washington takes him, I'm not saying it. I, I, I think it depends on who takes him. But I do think that Philadelphia, for instance, and obviously they had Bijan Robinson in for a visit. Uh, and, and I do think that if Philadelphia takes him, they add a weapon that is going to make their offense increasingly and maybe incredibly hard to stop. Well, and part of this, too, when you heard the sound there, <laughs> they, they'd like nothing more if they're of the mindset of you can find a running back anywhere, wherever those teams are drafting, they would rather the teams in front of them draft a running back because that pushes the players down the board they'd rather take. Yeah. So that's part of the psychological dance of the pre-draft conversations that are had by every team. It's required they all have these pre-draft press conferences. But when you have a player who can be as dynamic as Robinson, when you talk about him playing in the slot, you move him away from that scrum of bodies you reduce the injury risk over what it is when you're just banging into the line. And that's the problem. Saquon Barkley, he had the talent to be the second overall pick in the draft. But because of the position, it was inevitable he was going to get injured. You can't just say it's his fault. It's the position's fault. So when you have a position that you know generates more injuries than any other on the field, that's a reason not to use a top five, top ten pick, even if it's a top five or a top ten talent, especially when the gap between the top five talent and the other running backs out there isn't quite as great. And you can, you know, if you block for the guy, if you know he's going to hold on to the football, if you trust him to pick up blitzers, he can still be a very good running back in the NFL. He may not be B. John Robinson when he's healthy, but he can still be good enough that we can address other positions. That's the dance. That's the problem. And that's what makes it fascinating because I think Robinson is the best running back prospect since Barkley. So where 
does that land? I don't know. Do you have a sense of where, where the sweet spot is, where the window opens, where the window closes on Robinson? If you ask me what the over-under uh, is on where he'll be picked, Mike, and keep in mind that I think this is one of those things that you look at it and you say, okay, where's the sweet spot for B. John Robinson? Okay, most people would probably say Philadelphia at 10 is too high. New England at 14 doesn't really fit Belichick, but Belichick is a strange drafter, so you never know. My thought right now is that I think that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at 19 and uh, right in that area, I'd say the over-under on Bijan Robinson to me is probably about pick number 20. Now, Seattle has pick 20. I don't think they're taking him uh, because I think they're in good uh, stead there. It wouldn't shock me if the Chargers at 21 took him, especially because of what we're seeing and what we're hearing now with Austin Eckler. But right around 20 would be my over-under for him. Boy, and let me tell you, if the Chargers take him, that's a prime example of a team where the vibe becomes dramatically different if they take B. Yeah. John Robinson. You pair him up with Justin Herbert and those receivers, even though Austin Eckler is no slouch, just that high-end potential for B. John Robinson would make people say, wow. I'm fascinated by the Buccaneers. And see, this is where... When we get to the off-season churn of sound bites, you've got Jason Light, the GM of the Buccaneers, talking up Rashad White as a potential stud for them. And, of course, White is going to sign on to that. He wants to be that guy. You can have a lot of players who think they have a certain standing within the team who find out otherwise on Thursday night. And Rashad White, that always yeah, well, I think back to five years ago. <laughs> I know, I know, but it's just, it's one of the fascinating human dynamics of this. I think back to five years ago when Joe Flacco was uh, scheduled to appear and I think did go through with it, some Ravens draft experience the day after they drafted Lamar Jackson. It's like, oops, <laughs> yeah. that got a little yeah. awkward, but that's just part of the reality of having that new crop of players every single year. Receiver's been a position where teams have found great players in more abundance than ever in recent years. And, you know, I've asked plenty of people about this in the league. The explanation is simple. All those seven-on-seven camps, all those quarterbacks out there developing and throwing passes, someone's catching them. Those players are developing. They're getting better. Last year, six first-rounders in uh, the receiver position. 21, there were five. and 20, there were six. This year, though, I don't know. How many do you think are going to go? There's only maybe one that is clear-cut, especially because it's almost like the running back position. You're finding receivers at the later rounds. There's no need to reach for a receiver in round one. How many do you think make it off the board next Thursday night? Uh, I think four. And the reason is that, look, if you're, let's just say, the New York Giants at 25, you know that you have Wandale Robinson coming back, and you know what a huge threat that he was supposed to be for the whole season last year. and I, I. But I still think that if you look at the Giants, regardless of their acquisitions and, and who they could line up with opening day, I still think the Giants, if I'm looking at them right now, their biggest position of need is wide receiver. And if you are drafting at 25, that is right in the sweet spot of when the Zay Flowerses of the world are going to get picked. It looks as though Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to get picked somewhere, you know, 17, 19, 21, somewhere in there. That's another candidate, I think, for the Chargers. But, but it, it, so he's probably, I think he would certainly be picked uh, somewhere in the upper... 70% of the first round, somewhere in there, the upper two-thirds of the round. But then after that, I think it becomes a matter of choice. And I think the two guys who I feel confident are going to get picked in the round are Zay Flowers of BC and Jordan Addison from USC. I've heard a lot about Jordan Addison this week, Mike, in this way, that uh, I had one general manager say to me, look, this guy caught 100 balls at Pittsburgh with Kenny Pickett in 21. 
And then he transferred for the first time in his life, steps foot in the state of California, brand new offense. And obviously it's a different thing. He basically, I'm sure that part of his decision, maybe most of it was NIL money, but whatever the whole reason was, he's got to learn a brand new offense and a weird new offense, obviously much different than the offense he ran at Pitt. And he comes out and he catches, I think, 59 balls, has a bunch of touchdowns, and it really becomes a threat. That plus the fact that he's an engaging guy, he's, he's easy to coach, he wants to be coached, and I think he has shown well in a lot of these off-season interviews and meetings with teams. And I think he and Zay Flowers are probably the best candidates other than Jackson Smith and Jake Buttigo in the first round. There was a story that I noticed over the weekend. CBS was reporting that Quentin Johnson, the TCU receiver, wasn't invited to Kansas City specifically because the league wanted to avoid him slipping out of round one altogether. And it's hardly an exact science. We've seen guys who sat in that green room a lot longer than expected, but apparently the NFL is sensitive to that now, and that's one of the reasons why Johnson wasn't invited. We're going to take a break. When we return, Sean Payton on how both Bill Parcells and Nick Saban have influenced his scouting abilities. We'll discuss that when PFT Live continues right after this. Uh, Sean, you know, he sits in all our meetings. He sounds like a scout. He's been a lot of, you know, around a lot of really good people um, throughout his career. Uh, he reminds me of Coach Saban, you know, just sitting in meetings. The two years I was with Coach Saban, um, you know, they have a similar, uh, you know, vision of how they want to build uh, the football team. They have a clear vision on how they want to build the team. What I learned from Bill, I couldn't, I couldn't talk about in just one question or one press conference. There were certain things he looked for. I thought he was someone who was uh, obviously a Hall of Fame head coach, but uh, a real good personnel guy. He, he enjoyed that process. Um, you know, there were certain prototypes he looked for at positions, and uh, and and I think I think the one thing he was really good at, he enjoyed those evening afternoons, sitting in a room discussing players. If you really, it's easy to look at the key plays or the highlights. Um, you guys might have an opinion on some players in this draft, and they're probably based off of maybe 15 or 18 snaps. Um, you know, for us, I mean, last night we, we probably watched 1,200 snaps of three players. And and almost, you know, going back even a season ago, because um, you really are trying to get the totality of what's coming in the building. The, the appropriate follow-up question to that would be, which three players? I don't think Sean Payton would have answered. But uh, if, they're, if they're watching 1,200 snaps of three players, I would say those three players are under serious consideration, Peter, to be drafted by the Denver Broncos. Well, I just think that at this point, the Denver Broncos might pick a quarterback. I think their last pick is in, is in the sixth round. And who knows? You can obviously pick up more picks and they just signed Jarrett Stidham who Peyton is really smitten with so I would doubt that they're going to do anything other than a late round pick uh, at quarterback but I could definitely see him doing it because I think yeah there it is 195 because Sean Peyton you know he sort of he's like a Ron Wolf type in that Ron Wolf always wanted to have a rookie quarterback in his quarterback room every year. You're always churning the team. You're always developing a quarterback because you just never know. That's how they got Matt Hasselbeck. So sometimes it's Matt Hasselbeck. Sometimes it's Ronnie Makeda, who was, I think, from Army, and he just was not an NFL player. But my point is that I think Peyton, I think there's a decent chance in the sixth or seventh round that Denver takes one. But I think I think the one thing that Peyton has done so far this offseason, and, and let's get away from the whole sacred cow thing, which he's, he's not going to have any sacred cows. But I believe that the one thing he has done is he has said to his team, in effect, there will be competition every day. And it's not going to be like Pete Carroll says, oh, competition Wednesday, where you know who's going to win and all that stuff. 
And I'm not saying that Russell Wilson is in any danger at all because I don't believe he is. But I also believe that if you get to the midpoint of this season and Russell Wilson is playing like he did at the midpoint of 2022, that I won't be surprised to see Jarrett Stidham. And I won't be surprised to see a late-round quarterback get a few snaps at some point if they think he's ready just because they want to see what they got. Peyton is going to make absolutely sure that he has another option at quarterback because you just never know. He did it with um, uh, Taysom Hill in New Orleans and later with Ian Book, and Book ended up not working out the way he had hoped. But he'll always have options at quarterback. One other thing that Peyton said about Parcells, and we saw it from the Broncos in free agency. We could see it in the draft. He said Parcells felt the offensive line was one of the most important positions on your roster because it permeated the building. He didn't say it had to be done in the draft or in free agency, but he felt like that position group was important. And look, you don't get the most out of your quarterback if your quarterback doesn't have time to throw. And uh, so watch the Broncos try to upgrade that offensive line to give Russell Wilson a little more time. We have a little more time in the program. We'll take a break. When we come back, more PFT Live. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you do for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. Just like I've been saying all the time, when you're picking the top 10, you just want to make sure that you're pretty thorough on the uh, quarterback market. And I believe that we have done that. And so um, we, we, we have a good idea. It's always going to be a surprise uh, on, on draft night. That's what makes it fun. Uh, but, you know, uh, we'll definitely be prepared and um, got an idea, but just don't know if curveball might be thrown. Brad Holmes, Lions GM. They have that top 10 pick courtesy of the quarterback trade from a couple of years ago. Jared Goff for Matthew Stafford. And the Lions picked up two first-round picks and a third-round pick. They have the Rams' first-rounder for this year to wrap up that trade. And look, Peter, even if you're not thinking about taking a quarterback with that sixth overall pick, I think Holmes' point is you have to do the work on the quarterbacks because – if the opportunity comes to trade, the more you know about the quarterback that someone would be trading up for, the better informed you are in the trade conversation to get full value. You know why that team wants the guy, and you can push back when they try to lowball you because you know what the guy does well, and you know why that team wants to come get him. One of the, one of the things that makes the Detroit Lions such a compelling team in this draft is their extra picks in the first and second rounds, meaning that, you know, in the top 81, they've got five picks, as you can see right here. And in the top 81, for instance, the San Francisco 49ers have zero picks. And this is how the league gets turned. Okay, Mike, this is how, this is what happens when Jared Goff, plays as he did in 2022 
surprisingly well. And he made Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell say, wait a second. We can use our two twos and our two ones on players other than quarterbacks. Now, it'll be interesting. What happens if C.J. Stroud is there at number six? Doubt he will be, but what happens if he is? What happens if they're smitten with one of these guys and they say the value is just too great, we got to take him here, we're going to have Jordan Love here, basically, and Jared Goff's our guy, but this guy we think is going to be really good long-term and we want to go into business with him. Now, I doubt that's going to happen. But I guess my point overall would be, Mike, that Jared Goff's play in 2022 allowed the Detroit Lions, if they choose, to buttress a rising roster with four more, relatively speaking, cornerstone players. Because guys in the first and second rounds are really considered the guys who you're building with long term. And Brad Holmes has is, is got to be thinking of himself. He's the luckiest man on the face of the earth because golf has worked out and now they're able to fix some positions. They're able to take another corner, let's say. And they're able to fix some positions that need fixing. And, and Mike, I, I know this is going to sound really knee-jerk, but I'm thinking really seriously of picking the Lions to win that division. I don't think it would be a shock. I'm picking them. I may pick them to win a playoff game or two because I think they are a fascinating team in a weakened division uh, as we look forward to 2023. It's there for the taking. They're the betting favorites to win the NFC North, and they haven't won a playoff game since 19. 19- 91. I remember they commemorated the 25th anniversary of their last playoff win. My reaction was probably not something you want to draw extra attention to, that it's been that long since you won in the postseason, but that could change this year. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, what will we be talking about one week from today? That is our Crystal Ball Friday Draft. We'll do that next here on PFT. Who is that? Whose body am I on? But who's because that kind of looks like me, but that's not me. That's not me. Is that me? Peter, is that you? It's not me. That must be me because it's slim and attractive. (laughs) I still don't know who that is. Uh, That was from last week when uh, we were having some fun about one of my most recent lapses in memory. I'm always concerned that it's the beginning of the end when I have a simple lapse in memory now as 58 is approaching. Okay, so the draft is approaching. A week from today. What is the stuff we'll be talking about after one round of the draft is in the books? Peter, you go first. Wow. I think the biggest story one week from today is who drafts C.J. Stroud. Because I think it, it is, as we sit here one week out, six days out, the biggest mystery of the first round. And I think, Mike, the one thing about Stroud right now that is the most compelling, it happens every year. Who's going to ignore the noise and take a chance on a hugely gifted player? It has kind of shifted from Jalen Carter to C.J. Stroud. But my number one uh, priority a week from now is going to be who takes C.J. Stroud and why, and maybe more importantly, who passes on C.J. Stroud. And and I'm going to broaden it a little bit, even though I don't want to be repetitive of what your pick was, but I know this is always the A number one story. How many quarterbacks went and who took them? Two, three, four, five, I think back to 2018. Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, good Lord, and Lamar Jackson. How many of those guys are going to pan out? One of the realities. You say of the good draft, lord. One of the with Josh Rosen. I said good lord. Yeah, <laughs> but one of the realities of the draft. And look, we see this every year. It's always glass half full. It's always guy is going to be great. Here's why this guy's going to be great. Here's why that guy's going to be great. Here's why that guy's going to be great. And that's fine. I don't, I 
I'm fine with the people who are working the draft, not raining on the parades of these kids who have finally ascended to the NFL. But look back to 2018 for crying out loud. Two out of the five worked out. Two out of five, 40% success rate for the quarterbacks taken in that year of the draft. So we're going to be talking about the quarterbacks and we're going to be trying to figure out who's going to work, who's not going to work, who's going to sit for a year, who's going to play right away. But that's going to be the dominant topic. Stroud and all the others next Friday morning. Uh, Mike, I think, first of all, I want to just add one little factoid of the weekend. And that is that, how does it feel to know that uh, Josh Rosen was picked higher in a draft than Patrick Mahomes was? I mean, we can say whatever we want about the Arizona Cardinals and the Arizona Cardinals, essentially, their franchise going down in flames. But, man, that is one heck of an interesting pick, taking Josh Rosen 10th overall. I'll say my, my next one would be Jalen Carter because he started the draft season as the guy who we're not really sure about having to go home from the combine, tail between his legs to face these charges, and then to plead no contest to very serious charges. And so to me, I think Jalen Carter would be my next one. Next one for me, and look, this takes some liberty with what we're trying to do here, but it is what we're going to be talking about next Friday morning. I guarantee you, does Aaron Rodgers get traded Friday afternoon or evening? That's going to be one of the top stories. Here we go. The Jets aren't giving up the 13th overall pick to the Packers. We know that. If the trade's going to happen, it's going to happen on Friday, and it could happen as late as a second-round pick on the clock that the Packers get. It could happen late afternoon. I've put the over-under at 6 p.m. Eastern for the deal to get done, but that's what we're going to be talking about because after all this time of discussion and speculation and could other teams get involved, it's going to be Jets, it's going to be Rodgers, it's going to happen next Friday, and we're going to be talking about it on Friday morning. Yeah, my over-under would be actually 7.30 Eastern time because I think this is going to go on the clock. Um, and and look, Brian Costello in the New York Post just wrote this morning that, indeed, the hang-up is a 2024 first-round pick, which the Green Bay Packers want. And if you're the New York Jets... And that is indeed what the hang-up is. You're going to give them a two this year. That's already, people pretty much know that. And if the Packers want a one next year, I'm just telling you, Mike, I wouldn't do it. And I would exit the draft next weekend with Aaron Rodgers being the big matzo ball hanging out there for the Green Bay Packers. Okay, you can say whatever you want about us. You can say that uh, we better give a one next year in 2024 or we're not going to have Aaron Rodgers. I'm telling you, if you're Joe Douglas, if you're Woody Johnson, if you're Robert Sala, you've got to be solid enough as an organization. You really do. You've got to be firm as decision makers to be able to say, we are not paying a one and a two for a guy who might only play one year. Not going to do it. Oh, I got to pick something right, else. What else, Sorry. Peter? All right. <laughs> okay. Here's the last thing I would say. The number of receivers in the round, because I think it could be as few as three, I think it definitely will not be more than four. I, I was going to say here, B. John Robinson, who gets him, where does he go? How much of a, of a lift does he give the team? But we already talked about that. I'm going to throw another one out there that has nothing to do with what happens on Thursday night, but will have everything to do with what we're talking about on Friday. Who's going to make a play for Trey Lance, if anyone? Because I think day two of the draft is going to be the Trey Lance zone. If someone is going to put a package together who didn't get a quarterback that they wanted, you're emerging from the draft, round one, not addressing the position. So what do you do? You pivot to Trey Lance if you're interested in him, if you were interested in him a couple of years ago, because he's clearly in play in San Francisco. All right, let's take a break. Another guy who still could be in play in San Francisco or Miami, chance to shoot down any chatter yesterday. Opted not to do it. We'll let you know what we're talking about once we get to live continues. Right? Um, by chance, is there any chance that you're coming out of retirement and playing for the fifth? Oh, man. 
I know, honestly. I'm just saying, you gotta... Well, I will say, now that I'm not affiliated with any team anymore, and even though I have strong um, ties with a couple teams, um, I do have some friends on the Dolphins that I really like, so uh, I wouldn't say I necessarily root for them all the time, but I root for my friends to do well, and several of them play for my own, so. Awesome. Yeah. Tom Brady yesterday speaking at the Miami Beach Convention Center at Emerge Americas. Peter, he had a chance to shoot it down. You coming out of retirement to play for the Dolphins. He didn't say no. And that's an area where you just say no. And you can say no and then make your stupid joke that really wasn't funny, but they laughed because it's Tom Brady and they had to. Why didn't he just say no? Conspiracy Mike is on the case. I don't know. I I, I can't get into this story. I, I guess I just feel like he's not playing football again. And when I see some signs that he will, then I will start to use my brain cells, you know, that, that, that then will exercise in that way. But I just don't think he's playing. Uh, to me, the sign is they ask him a simple yes or no question and he doesn't say no. That's the sign for me. There it is. Enjoy your weekend. See you Monday. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 